Hi everyone, welcome back to Dialogical Humanism. Today, we will be following up on our last episode where I had a conversation with Jake Stila, the co-founder and executive director of Next Gen Men, about why it's so important to address the crisis of masculinity and experiences of masculinity for young males in Canada. We are trying to raise awareness for the fact that in the age group of 20 to 29 year olds, 75% of suicides are all male. Evidently, there's a crisis of masculinity going on amongst our youth and there needs to be a conversation held about it. To continue the conversation, I have a really special guest with me today. He's a close friend and one of the most caring people I know. We met at the Ward Summer Student Program at Holland Bloorview Kids Rehabilitation Hospital, where Michael put together an incredible project about the importance of art-based research and experience of children with cancer. He's got a passion for science, art, and the humanities, and he's currently a full-time student at the University of Guelph and works at the Child Development Research Unit there. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Oh my God, it's such a pleasure to be on here. And if you could see me right now, you'd see me blushing from that Aww. lovely, lovely <laughs> intro. <laughs> no. I would do video video for this series, but it was too high maintenance. So I'll I'll take that to heart. <laughs> Um, So as you know, Michael, we're here to just continue the conversation about what are the realities of how men in Canada experience what we talked about last episode, which is hegemonic masculinity. To reiterate this for anybody listening today, hegemonic masculinity is a concept that I discuss with Jake, where in the media, in magazines, and in other mainstream forms of books and entertainment, there is a masculine ideal that's often portrayed that is oftentimes quite unattainable. Jake brought up the example of the typical James Bond 007, who has that perfect body, who has an endless supply of women, who is endlessly competent in every single area, and is definitely associated with stereotypically masculine traits, such as aggression, um, toughness, and lack of emotion. I'm here to continue the conversation with Michael because he took it upon himself to take a lot of gender studies courses at university, which is something that I find really inspiring and a lot of my other male friends find really inspiring too. Uh, Michael, I was just wondering if you could talk to why you decided to look more into feminist theory and kind of the theory behind ideas of what it means to be a man and what it means to be a woman. Um, Of course. So it all began really... um when I first went to university and I was um, able to take these courses, I had very limited access to it prior to that uh, point in time. And it really stemmed from an interest in the topic and also a desire to build confidence um, within my friend group and within my community, um, discussions of feminism, feminist theory, um, were always being brought up, but I never felt I could contribute anything of worth. Hmm. Uh, One, because I hadn't done any research on the topic, uh, and second of all, because I was a man. And I felt that because I was a man, my voice and my point of view was inherently lesser and should be pushed aside when discussing these things. And... As I continued my education, I realized 
that that's not what I should be doing. Instead of putting myself down, I should be taking a stand and educating myself and being active in this process and learning as much as I can so when these conversations do come up, I actually can contribute something, something that I feel confident in. Absolutely. And I think that's really awesome, Michael, that you felt the need to do your part. And I feel that for me right now, I'm I'm hoping that I can do my part as a, a woman and as a feminist to listen to this other side of the conversation that is also sometimes getting left out, which is how men feel about ideals of masculinity that the patriarchy has idolized so much in society and culture. I was wondering if you had any experiences with that masculine ideal and how that has affected your experience in the world and maybe your feelings of mental health or self-esteem. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting feeling when you're working with these concepts of masculinity. Um, for I guess the best way to describe it is to kind of dive into where I learned them from. Um, so my parents, uh, so to describe where I'm coming from, my parents were divorced and uh, lived separate from each other, and they've been like this since I was around seven. Mm-hmm. But my brother and I have been incredibly, incredibly lucky uh, to get the chance to spend equal or the most amount of time with each of them. So with that, I've spent a lot of time with my more liberal mom and a lot of time with my more conservative uh, conservative dad. And when people first meet my dad, uh, the first thing they say is that he's very much a man's man, if that makes sense. I think and so. <laughs> being a, yeah, being a man's man. And um, being a man's man meant that he taught and embodied certain lessons and behaviors associated with masculinity that, while sometimes incredibly positive, could also be somewhat unhealthy in the long run, which isn't to say that my dad didn't make the most welcoming and loving home possible for us. It's just that at the same time, he is the product of a long history of traditional masculinity. Mm -hmm. So there's there's an aspect that just can't be helped. Mm -hmm. Or I shouldn't say can't be helped, but it's it's much more deeply rooted than just, you know, realizing, oh, wow, I am teaching these lessons that might not be that great. It's just it's all he's ever known and it's all that a, an entire generation has ever known. Absolutely. I think here in Canada, it's really important for young Canadians from our specific social location and time to recognize just how multi-generational these discourses of masculinity and femininity are. I def- I took one of um, my first gender studies courses this year as well, and it it was um, Asia Asia focused, but it really shocked me to learn how far back men and women were taught to behave, from our grandparents to our great grandparents, and it is really fascinating to learn about how state influenced and corporate driven these projects of masculinity have been 
there was definitely a huge state and corporate investment over time into increasing the productivity of men. And so oftentimes the onus of improving a company, of, inc- of, of improving a country has been placed on men. And of course, that's also come with a lot of power. Hence, we're in a patriarchy right now. And however, though, psychologically speaking today, that's definitely what we want to focus on, how the effects of that association between men and power over time have shifted these ideals of masculinity into something that really affects the mental health of a lot of youth in Canada today. And to that point then, Michael, I was just wondering if I could ask you, how are your personal experiences with the stereotypical ideal of what a man should be? What does that mean to you and how has that affected your life? Yeah, um, just for the listeners out there, just so they can have uh, an idea of uh, the body behind the voice that's speaking right now. (laughs) I am a uh, cisgendered uh, white man, so I really am at the pinnacle of privilege in society. So it's very interesting because to, to battle... I I don't even want to say to battle because in a lot of ways I am just so incredibly lucky, but there is this small aspect Mm -hmm. of my life, which is, as mentioned earlier, just this suppression of emotions and to act tough and to be more dominant, aggressive, have certain physical characteristics. And I could go on and tell you lots of different times that I've felt hurt. Um, I can recall times when someone spread a rumor that I was uh, gay because I pursued dance in my education. I can tell you about times when I felt obligated to stay quiet uh, because straight men are supposed to like it when girls touch them, even if they don't necessarily want to be touched. Um, But in my experience, these aren't as bad as just this persistent feeling of inadequacy that can sometimes loom over a man's head when he has this ideal or this, you know, really damaging ideal of what a man should be. Uh, This feeling that you'll never be good enough and always falling short, constantly questioning yourself in every action that you perform. And God forbid that um, someone other than another man uh, outperforms you because then it just, again, having this negative portrayal of yourself just gets even worse because then you feel emasculated, which is a terrible position to be in. But it's just this really interesting thing because I have all of these feelings. I have had all these feelings that, um, in my life, but at the same time, I really feel like I can't complain about them because at the end of the day, it's, I don't feel as though it's the end of the world because I still am a man with all this privilege. I still am straight with all this privilege. I still am white with all this <laughs> privilege. So what is it like, do I have the right, I wonder, to even voice this, I guess, is where I is this where I start thinking about it. Absolutely. Um, in response to that, Michael, this is a little bit of a digression from mm-hmm. our topic 
today, but I, you know what, I definitely think it's important for our listeners to, listeners to hear. Mm-hmm. Myself, as a woman and as someone who identifies as feminist, I totally agree. I know we had this conversation casually before this podcast, but when it comes to the patriarchy, it was definitely designed to oppress women, and that is, you know, that's just, that's just the fact, right? Um, mm-hmm. The other thing, though, is that I genuinely deeply think, and this comes from studies in my gender studies class this year, that these masculine ideals inherently inform feminine ideals and rely on feminine ideals. And so when we discuss issues like this, Michael, I can assure you, at least from my personal perspective as a woman, it's more eye-opening for me than it is, oh, I can't believe you're complaining about this. I I rather think that it's very tied in the fact that men feel like they don't have a space to talk about their feelings because the flip side of that is, well, women have to take care of all of men's feelings then. And so it's really important for me, I think, to share male perspectives, even if you are a straight male cisgender at the pinnacle of privilege in our society the way you feel directly informs how the rest of a lot of other people in our culture and our space feel as well. And so I thank you for bringing up these really difficult examples that have occurred in your life. And maybe to people who see it as complaining, that is one population that would see it like that. But I think that what's more important to focus on is how can this lead to a critical discussion of what it means to be a man and how does that inform male mental health, but also the rest of the identities that people choose to have in our society. And to that, Michael, I just wanted to focus on one thing that you brought up. You actually mentioned that most of your friends are female, and I find that actually very interesting um, because a common comment that I get from men that I know is that they don't really feel comfortable showing their weakness around their male friends, or they don't really feel comfortable talking about Um, emotional issues is that something that you find amongst the men that you know oh very much so very (laughs) very much so um it's i i laugh only because it it is somewhat comedic a lot of the times the lengths men will go to mask their emotions (laughs) and to outdo one another in their company and how differently men behave in the company of other men and in the company of um, women. And I guess the one way to, man, there's no real great way to illustrate that. I mean, when people hang out with me, I immediately, men would describe me as having a more feminine energy, so to speak. But I wouldn't call it that. If anything, I would just call it being very comfortable with my own sexuality and my own identity as a man to be able to express sides Mm -hmm. of my masculinity that aren't traditional. Mm -hmm. Um, For example, I consistently show physical affection to everyone. I am a big person to call people um, beautiful, to call them handsome, to compliment people. I go out of my way uh, to compliment men if I can on how they look that day. 
and to let them know that you don't have to be on guard and to, you know, not be protected from receiving love from other men um, in a platonic way and to embrace that in a lot of ways. Michael, what you said is really fascinating to me because the traits that you have or the hobbies that you have that other males around you perceive as feminine are ones that are directly related to being emotionally expressive, such as dance, and emotionally vulnerable, such as offering your friends genuine compliments. And I was just wondering if you could speak and give your point of view on how it might feel tiring sometimes to uphold this masculine ideal of somebody who is very tough and uh, not vulnerable, and how if that has ever led to feelings of inadequacy or invalidation when it comes to your own emotions. Yeah, I, my experience has been mixed because I stopped trying to uphold that strong, silent type a while ago. That's good, man. <laughs> um, I, I abandoned it purely because it was so draining. It's something where I just felt so limited in what I could express. Um, and I just felt there was, I, I talked a lot um, when I was younger, and I still continue to talk a lot. Talk to anyone who knows me, and they'll tell you that I never really quite shut up. <laughs> so it's okay, Michael, to, me too. <laughs> to, <laughs> so to now all of a sudden be told by my male friends that I need to adhere to this quality of mystery and be told by women that, you know, guys like the, or girls like the silent type. It just felt so ingenuine to who I was as a person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I tried to fight it for a while and I tried to stay silent, but I just ended up being miserable whenever I tried to. I I love to crack jokes, and I don't like to try to make my life a mystery. I'm very, I very much wear my heart on my sleeve, and I'm very much, you know, arms open to the world and to expressing my opinion and to hearing other people's opinions. So, again, it's just, it's never something that I, I struggled with it, but it was never an intense battle. It's just something that I immediately just kind of, gave up on and since then I've just been very very happy yeah, expressing myself yeah. and not feeling like I have to restrict my range of emotions when I'm in certain company absolutely and I think that's a perfect transition into my last question for today Michael which is you know what let's not talk about masculine or feminine energies or anything right now just from your own personal experience growing up as a young identifying male Canadian, what are some traits or um, what are some characteristics that you would encourage the men around you to embody and just not be afraid to express moving forward? Yeah, I would say it's less so providing new traits that maybe men should explore, but I would say, or I would encourage men to redefine what certain traits are to them. Um, confidence is a typically masculine trait that we um, look to or that men look to. But I wouldn't say just confidence in a bravado sense, in a macho sense, in a, in a toughness, in the controlling of the room. It's a confidence 
maybe invulnerability, like redefine it as that, challenge yourself and push yourself not to outdo those around you, but push yourself to put yourself in very vulnerable situations. Vulnerability is such a difficult thing for men to get to. And I think a lot of men underestimate the courage, I guess, it takes to get there. Absolutely. And support is another one. Just instead of feeling like you have to do it on your own, look to those around you, those who love you. Let people who love you actually love you. And don't feel afraid to uh, let them express that love and to let them enter into your life and help you when you need it. And again, not these aren't radical traits that men are suddenly going to have to learn. These are traits that are still very much a part of their already masculine. It's just redefining them to be much more healthier than what they already are. Michael, that was incredibly, incredibly insightful. Thank you so much again for having this conversation with me about undefining what masculinity really is. And thank you so much for having me and all the best in your future. Well, there's not Spotify much of a future podcast. going on right now. Not much of a future. I guess the best we can say is good luck uh, with your new kitty cat. <laughs> yeah, thank you. To the viewers out there, uh, Jan now has adopted a lovely little kitten, which she lost within three hours of obtaining it, but she <laughs> yeah. found it. She found it, so life I is good. found her. I'm not much of an animal person. I think that's something I have been trying to redefine for myself, too. (laughs) (laughs) Tapping into that quote-unquote feminine energy, as they call it. (laughs) Michael, thank you so much. Everyone, this has been Dialogical Humanism, and thank you so much for listening. And together, Michael and I definitely challenge everyone who's listening, whether you're male or female, to redefine what is normal for you and to tap into being vulnerable and being comfortable with yourself. I hope you are all keeping well and see you on the next episode. Said you're not the man you used to be.